listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. Two, one. Welcome to the One Take Podcast, episode five. Really quickly getting back on our bullshit because uh, we didn't actually see a movie this week. We, you know, got one for free on Netflix, plus uh, a streaming show. We had our One Take Down episode later in the week because we had a two hour episode last week that we just kept talking in. So, this week, we have a uh, shorter episode on the one takedown and a streaming episode, so you don't have to go out to the theater, spend your money, just use that built-in fund that you have for Netflix to watch Miss Americana, as well as the first season of You. A lot of people have already watched both of these things. Guys, how are we doing? It feels like I just talked to y'all. Yeah. Uh, we... Right back on our bullshit. We're right back at it again. Coming off of Toy Story 4, now into T Swift and Stalker Show of the Year, Century. Only one? I don't know. Um, we're good. We're chilling. I am so ready to shit on this documentary. So let's get into <laughs> it. Let's get into it. Miss Americana. Miss Americana uh, debuted on Netflix. Uh, a couple of weeks ago now, um, stars one Taylor, well, not stars, it's about one Taylor Swift, the mega uber pop star extraordinaire. If you do not know who T Swift, Taylor Swift is at this point, then, you know, I don't know really what to tell you. It's um, it actually premiered at Sundance on uh, January 23rd uh, of this year and was released on Netflix at the end of January, January 31st. Um, has pretty okay reviews on, on Rotten Tomatoes and especially on IMDb, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, 7.6 on IMDb. And let's look at this user score. Yeah. 90, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, 92% user score on, uh, Rotten Tomatoes and, you know, a 7.6 on IMDb. Y'all go ahead. I, I got to give this one, you know, I have some thoughts on it. But I'm going to let y'all carry this episode because I got to give this one a DNF, meaning did not finish. So, <laughs> so yeah, and, and, and it mostly to do with my poor timing, but also um, to do with I just I thought I had seen most of the documentary halfway through. So and I, I don't think I'm wrong. So, Dex, you have probably the most feelings about it. Go ahead. What do you think about this? And, and just to clarify, this is about Taylor Swift dealing with a lot of her own issues in documentary form, but also her lead up to, I think, releasing her newest album, correct? And you see a little bit of behind the scenes of that. So that's basically right. what this documentary is about. But Dex, you have the most feelings. Take it away, my friend. So you say that this is supposed to be like a lead up to her latest album, but it's really not. And that's my issue with the documentary is that it's not really anything. It's not about anything. And I couldn't tell you why it was made. It's just like Netflix had a bunch of Taylor Swift home video footage and was like, you know what? People like Taylor Swift. They'll click on this. Let's watch it. And so I that's what happened. Like there's just a bunch of 
nonsense about Taylor Swift, like, finding herself or something. Apparently, she was too popular and too likable as a child, and so it ruined her, and it made her sad. And now, she's still likable, but is more okay with not being liked, I guess? I don't know. But I couldn't tell you why this was made, what the point was, or, like, who this was supposed to be for, other than, like, seventh grade girls. Like, this just... So dumb. Well, it's made for her base, but you know, that is pretty much the end of that. That's the end. That's really who it's for. It's, it's for, and they're not dumb. Like her base is a thriving, just savage, (laughs) like base. And, and they'll, they'll, you know, you already had one come after you on Twitter when you already, uh, tweeted about that. You didn't necessarily like the documentary. You tweeted some of your thoughts about it and somebody with a Taylor Swift icon, came into your mentions already. Yeah, the hive is deep on this one. Like they, yeah. The hive is already here for this. So we may get run off the internet just for talking about this thing. So, I mean, it's like, like her and Beyonce are the two just, you know, they're so popular and so famous that it's just like, they don't necessarily have to do anything groundbreaking for it to make waves and that's kind of how i feel about this but jake what did you uh what did you how did you feel about this because you you know you finished it i did not oh oh. sorry i am i am looking at these comments on dex posts really came (laughs) at you fast yikes on on that one um yeah leslie was not was not feeling any dex um man i don't know i'm not i'm not gonna say it's bad i I won't go to that extreme because it it, it's the editing is good and i don't i don't want to shit all over um the director um i figured out what the first name is last name is wilson it'll come to me in a second morgan no um um it's okay. Like it, it is okay in the form of documentary. The problem is, is it has nothing to tell. And I was reading an interview that Taylor gave right after it came out, where she was talking about the first half of the film is the juxtaposition of like, you know, living a happy life while clashing with stardom. We don't get that. Um, the second half is talking about her crossing the lines and supporting the lgbtq community we don't get that we get that in the form of the queer eye guys which is just paying tribute to netflix um it is a documentary that has to say nothing except to sell albums and tickets we don't get really any sort of story about her we don't get any new footage we get nothing it's it's a film about nothing that only serves itself and, you know, I was just listening to talk to put down my microphone, but the, there, there are some things that I, that I took away from like the beginning of the film that I got through that were like, that were very interesting to me to see. And just because the, the, the fact of superstardom, the, just that whole lifestyle and the, what surrounds superstardom is something that no one in this podcast will ever even relatively come close to even understanding. So it's, I like to see what goes into that. Like the few snippets that we did get of her 
you know, creating um, me with Brendan Urie, which, you know, I, I love Panic at the Disco. So it's like, that's really cool. What goes into making a hit song will always interest me because that's the creative process of that and documentaries that have done that, that have followed artists in the past who have done that are really great, but they didn't focus necessarily on that. It's like, it was almost like Taylor Swift had some things that she wanted to say. So we just followed her with a camera, but it just grazed over the surface of, of all of those things that she wanted to say. You know what I mean? It didn't go deep. Like she talks about her body image for, she had about a five minute rant and then it was just like, okay, moving on, you know? And I know she wanted to, I guess, uh, apparently touch on a lot of things within this documentary, but it, 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 especially because they use that in the promo for all of this is like, Taylor Swift, like you've never seen her before. Right. right. Um, I mean, exactly yeah, were... as you've always seen her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the gave the revelation that she did have the eating disorder. That is big. Like that is something that the public really didn't know. And it's good to get it out there that, you know, it is something to talk about. And I will give props to that because that's really important. But we also get nothing from it. Like, it's not like she's coming out to say, hey, I had an eating disorder. I'm still struggling with it. It's important. But I want to give back to the community. I want to start being an advocate for it. I want this to be a social issue that we talk about. Like, she provides nothing. It's just like, hey, I deal with this. Let's move on to the next scene. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what I was just, it just sort of grazes over the surface of of some of her (laughs) plights. And the main issue that I found with this, and it's difficult because I don't want to, you know, poo-poo on anybody's problems because it's relative. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what it's like to have people follow me around every second of every day. And anything that I do is being written about, like anyone that I'm seeing out in public with is, is on a tabloid that has to eat at your skull because nothing in life prepares you for that. You know what I mean? And I don't understand that. So that's a little relative, you know, when, when I say, when I, I use that all as a clarifying statement to say a lot of this comes off as famous people problems. Oh, for sure. A lot. I use all of that as a qualifier to say she has a part where she goes, I won the grant, the Grammy for the second year in a row for best album. And I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. Yeah. What? But... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's a very important scene. It's, um, I reached the pinnacle like, of all success in music and in superstardom and everyone knows me and everyone stadiums chant my name, but I'm alone <laughs> a little bit. Well, it, what's even more bizarre about that is backtracking like 10 minutes. We get the whole scene where I guess she's in her house and she's talking to, I think her mom about how she didn't get the Grammy nomination for anything. And rightfully so, because had... that album stunk. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But it, it, it's such a bizarre scene because then the, the next thing she does is uh, the Travis Scott thing of I didn't make good music. 
I'm going to be better. How are you going to be better? You've already conquered the mountain. Like, getting best album of the year three times in a row has only been done once. So what are you really trying to accomplish here? Like, it's it's a weird pity party to show. I'm not sitting here being a sympathetic audience member being like, you know what? She does deserve another Grammy. Okay, she's got another one. She still is a a quarter of a billionaire or a half a billionaire. Like it's an okay situation for her. That feels no sympathy for me. Well, and also it's like, okay, reputation wasn't a good album. Like, well, like I like a lot of Taylor Swift, especially her when, when, you know, we were in middle school and stuff, all that country stuff that she put out though, that shit still slaps. But like the, uh, the, the reputation album arguably is her worst project. And like, I don't want to get into Taylor Swift's discography, but like to just for, are we supposed to feel bad that, you know, I don't know. Cause she's sitting there and she's like filming herself and she's about to cry because she didn't. And it's so, it's just sort of like, yeah, that's a bummer. You put out a project and, and it was critically panned, but it still was a platinum album. It was a hit. You know it's what I mean? Still went on to a sold out tour. Yeah. Like I mean, it's not one of like the biggest tours ever. Yeah. It didn't crash her career. She didn't like fade into nothingness because of not getting a Grammy. It's it's a very not important scene. Yeah. I mean, she came back. I really did like this latest album that she put out. Like I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and be, you know, macho man like, oh I don't listen to Taylor Swift. Like if you live, you have listened to Taylor Swift. Like it's just on the radio. It's on the front page of Spotify. It it she is. Yeah, yeah. She like, it's just everywhere. She is everywhere. So I, I'll just say like, I like a lot of her music, but just to, I don't know, to, to have a little bit of a pity party for us and be like, I'm going to be better. And it's hard to be better than like multi-platinum. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. Dex. My thing the whole time was just like, none of these are real problems. Like, so she talks about the Kanye West thing again for the millionth time. We have to relitigate that. Again, big but, uh, yikes to rewatching that. Big yikes to Kanye West. Anyway. For sure. But like, everyone knew that at the time. Like, th- that was the conversation at the time. Anyway, so she like, she talks about how it was like, I guess echoey inside whatever arena they do the VMAs from. And she thought all the people booing Kanye West were booing her. And this was like a big psychological like blow to her and like mess with her mental health. And it's like, man, come on. There's no way. Like, there's no way you stood up there thinking, yeah, Kanye West just like hopped on stage in front of me and like stole my moment. And now everyone's booing me and not Kanye West. Like, there's no, there's no way any reasonable person thought that was the case. And it's like, supposed to be this like giant like psychological blow to her that like set back her life like a few years because she thought people were booing her and they weren't like those kind of problems it's like that's not what i watch documentaries about musicians for well along that same line and you and i were talking about this earlier the one of the biggest issues and like uh, okay i understand it is a documentary that she executive produced about her it we are going to get her side of the story and only her side of the story 
But that scene is just presented. We have to sit and watch the whole VMAs, uh, that whole scene. I get it. Let's go through it again. It sucks. It is a big yikes moment. And then we move on. We get this, I think it's like Access Hollywood or something, like interview that happens right after where she says she didn't know, she doesn't know how to handle it. And then we blow past it. What the documentary just ignores is that she was brought back on stage. Beyonce gave her her moment back. And then we had like years of them feuding. It wasn't like Taylor Swift just let it go and moved on. And then Kanye was just a dick and kept like shitting all over here. Like there was an actual feud that happened. And we never get that side of like, oh, she actually did get a retaliation. Right. We, it, it, a better documentary and like one that's not executive produced by Taylor Swift or anything else is where they go and they talk to Kanye or they and maybe he wouldn't have wanted to do it anyway. Maybe they reached out to him and he didn't want to do didn't want to do it. I doubt it. But like Kanye's never passed up a moment to be Kanye. So like a better documentary goes and like talks about that and they go in depth about that. If it is such a big moment and devil devil's advocate that was talked about incessantly. You had the president of the United States comment on it, called him a dickhead. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, or he called him an asshole. Like, I don't know what he, you know, but you had Barack Obama, like chiming in on it. Like it was, it was, it, it was news forever. Regardless of how we remember it, it was, it was news forever. But to, yeah, to like Dex was saying, to get up and be like, that was the worst thing that ever happened to me in my career. Then your career's going pretty good. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's Not mention, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, I understand, like, that was a shitty moment. And she was 17. So, like, not to take away from what really did happen, because, like, that did suck. And that is a huge blow to your personality. Like, I did stupid shit and still regret it from when I was 17. So to sit and like think people are booing you at that young age, like that was a shitty moment. It's just, to me, it is weird to present one side of this story and then ignore the fact that even in the year of our Lord, 2019, the feud is still going on. Year of our Lord, 2020 son, that, that shit still hadn't ended. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, we're still going. <sighs> yeah. I was just going to say like, she kept it going for so long and it was like repackaged it so many times to like be the new like cycle of like victimhood in the news or whatever. Like she, you know, was always like dropping like subliminal bars about Kanye in her music. Like she was always like putting out videos with references like to Kanye or whatever. Like she basically based her entire album on like uh, Kim Kardashian putting out those tapes and calling her a snake or whatever. Like, it's not like she just. Uh, yeah, it's not like she just uh, decided. You know, I'm like above that. Like, I don't know. I'm thinking about that anymore. It's such a difficult time for me. Blah blah blah. Like, nah. She was really out here, like constantly, like putting that back in our faces, and she did it yet again. And it's been more than a decade at this point. And I feel like if they wanted to, they could have gone way more in depth about it because it, that has been her sort of, and like you said, it touched on the, it was most of the reputation album. So it's like, 
if you wanted to go more and you wanted a better, I feel like a better documentary, then you go into depth about where her mental state was in that. And you get an honest look at like how much this did affect her because she is this like small town Pennsylvania white girl that like was raised on country music and was a country star. And now she's thrust into mega stardom that has to mess with your head. Right. Just a little bit. So the fact that she is like, and it did just didn't go into as much depth on that as, or, you know, how that would have affected that album or how, you know, it, because that is her, sort of low is that is that whole is that whole album where it's like feuding with Kanye and she has hit, hit she changes the pop hit album hit album hit album something happens where she like has a breakup another breakup or something like that and it just and then the reputation album comes out and she feuds with Kanye again and it's just that's what the whole album but it doesn't it just doesn't I feel like there's a better documentary within this documentary somewhere you know what I mean yeah I think that this would have been better as like a docu-series where like they dive into each of these individual issues, like in like one episode dedicated just to that. Like if you want to do the Kanye food feud, you can make that a whole like hour documentary episode. If you want to do, you know, her like rise from, I don't know, singing country songs on local radio to becoming a superstar. Okay. Like really dive into it or eating disorders and relationships and stuff like that. Like dive into all of those things individually. I think you can make hour long documentary episodes about all those things that are really good and really worthwhile, but they shoved all of them into an hour and 20 documentary. And it's just like, what what do we do this for? Yeah. Not for, not for us, not for, uh, not for 20 something podcasters. That's not who they made this documentary for. (laughs) And, and and that's fine. Like it, she knows her base. Like that's perfectly okay. Like she knows Netflix knew who was going to watch this and they're going to come out and they're going to lie and say it got 300 million streams within a week. Mm-hmm. So like, the, you know, that's fine. And, and, and we'll all move on. But I got to tell you, I will not really think about this documentary whatsoever after a couple of days. I might have to go back and really finish it and like see just you know what it is because in the end i don't it's not like i hate taylor so i like her music i as far as i know as a person she's like a decent human being so it's like you know and she's donated a lot to charity and given of her time and some of the things with her like behind the scenes with the people that in the meet and greets and things like that and how much people love her like that's kind of cool you know what i mean like it gives and it and especially gives young women something to aspire towards and i think that's really cool but this documentary is definitely not made for me dex and jake nah. you know what i mean i gotta say i still i probably should have disclosed this earlier but i'm a lifelong kanye stan um, oh we knew we've been new <laughs> uh but i came into the documentary hating taylor swift and like i've been like very annoyed by her constantly throughout her career i do listen to some of her music and like some of it um 1989 classic album Reputation stunk. the last one the last one stunk but <laughs> you know um i you know i try and give her a fair chance when i can because i know that like you know if you want to participate in pop culture like i do you have to like acknowledge taylor swift so i came to this documentary looking for reasons to hate taylor swift a little less and i could not find any like there's this one part 
where she's talking to I don't know like some songwriter or producer that works with her and she's like you know I'm about to be 29 I'm not ready to like have kids and deal with all this grown-up stuff and I was like bitch you're 29 you're not 19 like you should be grown at this point like the things like that it's like I don't I can't possibly like you like it's just not we, we can't do this I can't do this at the end of the day, it is very, very tough to be relatable. And and for as, you know, she comes off as pretty relatable to her fan base. It's so hard to be relatable when in the back of my mind, I'm going, you have $500 million. Holy crap. You know what I mean? Like, like just, uh, you could, she could stop. Like, you know what I mean? She could just quit. Just go home. You yeah, don't you, have to do this. yeah, you don't have to like, and there is something to be said about the psychosis of mega stars and super athletes and people that grab that attention and grasp it. It's like why Michael Jordan continued to like, it's like why he came back to the league or why he, you know, had a gambling problem or like, you know, why these, all these mega stars get into drugs or or you know they they just keep performing like like the rolling stones keep performing when they're like 85 you know what i mean it's like there's a reason behind them there's a psychosis behind that of needing that attention and once you have it it's tough to and it goes away it's tough to ever get back so so you know I, i don't know what the point is i'm trying to make but i think that like that could have been even even that could have been even touched on more in this documentary because it's it's tough when like you were saying you know you're 29 like most people most people even the people watching it is like i gotta get up and go to work tomorrow yeah you know what i mean like like we do the grown-up stuff (laughs) yeah so uh, it, it's just tough when when you know in the back of my mind when i when i knew in the back of my mind it was like you have more money than you will ever know what to do with ever you'll never spend all of that um to kind of parlay off of that um one of the bigger themes is her having to accept and deal and go through with her mom having cancer we are introduced to this concept while she is on a private plane eating a nice meal where there's also a massive dog on this private plane. And we're talking about how cool that is. Like, it's a very, this intense emotional scene of, like, watching her, like, still grappling with this idea while also being surrounded by luxury. It's it's a weird display. And I don't know, I mean, I think maybe she just doesn't have the time or the documentary just really wanted to follow her around. But at any point in time, they could have reserved a room for two hours, strung out black curtains, focused a light on her and be like, let's sit down and talk. Tell us about, you know, your mom's cancer. Tell us about your sexual assault case. Like, instead of let's just follow you around and show everybody this lavish lifestyle that you live, this amazing house that looks like it's Bruce Wayne's mansion that you're just casually hanging out in. It's just weird to have these moments of like, intense emotional response that she is a human having to go through these very hard things while also being surrounded by the nicest things that I will never own. 
or any of the people watching will ever own. Right, but does it come off as disingenuous if they do that, where it's like, you know, they get, they, you know, key on her and it's just like this big white light and, you know, they do like a, like an inside the NBA, like, frame up? Like, is the, is it like, you know, is no. it, is it disingenuous I, I, or it does, would it, you think it works in the context of this? I think it works in the context of, of this because, I mean, it is a movie or a documentary produced by her for her mm-hmm. about her. So if we're going to tell her story, just let her sit down, break the fourth wall, look straight in your soul and tell her story. I This behind the scenes footage, it's not really doing it any justice other than to say she lives a rock star's life and is constantly on the move and busy. But if you're going to tell me the story, tell me the story. Right. Exactly. I think, uh, like I mentioned earlier, like we just kind of whoosh through all these different like topics and things, and they're all very serious. Like I don't want to downplay like her mom's cancer. It's very serious, obviously. Like that's a hard thing to go through. The eating disorders, the sexual assault, all of that. Very important. Talk about very like difficult things to go through, and I do feel sorry for her about those things. But it's like we mentioned those for a couple seconds and then it's like this whoosh sound effect and then we just go to something else entirely. Like uh, I had an eating disorder, whoosh, stadium tour. Like my mom had cancer, whoosh. Here's like thousands of adoring fans meeting me at a meet and greet. Like just mm-hmm. if you're going to like get real serious and like deep with it, actually do that. Don't just like whoosh it away into like but look how like great I am and how popular I am. Everyone loves me. Right. And it, it does go into a couple of times where it's like, man, everybody had such a great time at that concert. They all, they all really liked me. And you're just like, well, yeah, Taylor Swift. Duh. <laughs> like, do you, yeah, like, do you not know who you are? <laughs> I don't it know. It costs $300 to get into that concert. Everybody there was happy to see you. <laughs> exactly. I mean, a couple of things, because we've just been shitting on this documentary, a couple of things that I did like, and, you know, I'll give my grade and we can wrap up and move on to the long-awaited you review, but um, a couple of things that I did like, uh, I, I and I touched on it earlier, but seeing someone write a hit album will always be cool to me. Like, it, it, w- seeing the thought process, because I can never do it. Like, I could never put mu- music to lyrics and just come up with it on the spot. And yeah, she has other people helping her write her songs, but she's been a hit songwriter and you see a little bit of it since she was 13. So that's really cool. That was kind of cool for me to see at least, you know, and her working with Brendan Urie and the process of, you know, how that, what goes into that and how she wanted the song to sound and yada, 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 and how involved she kind of is with that process. I thought that was really cool because it is something so foreign to me that I will never ever be able to do is put, it's just a talent that I will never even grasp how people do it. So the fact that it is like a movie, the fact that any movie gets made is a miracle. The fact that any song gets made is a miracle, regardless of what kind of song it is. So I found that cool. The transition. I do want to say that uh, I think me being, very anti Taylor Swift might have colored this like for me because I'm watching it. I was realizing I was like, this is exactly like the Travis Scott documentary that Netflix put out last year, where it doesn't really say anything. It's like a bunch of concert clips, some like recordings of like early recordings of songs and different things like that, but like doesn't really like mean anything. But I love Travis Scott, 
So I was like, yeah, I'm on board. Fuck mm-hmm. yeah, let's go. He's recording Butterfly Effect. This is the shit. Like, but uh, you know, I didn't really like the song Me or much of that album. So like, listening to her recording with Brendan Urie, I was like, you really wrote this shit and you thought it was cool. Like, <laughs> you know, if I was a Taylor Swift fan, I can probably see how, you know, this would be, you know, enjoyable. Very much your shit. Oh yeah, like I said, not for us. Yeah, so not for like we cannot say that enough. This isn't this is not made for <laughs> for us, and and I doubt she gives a shit. Of, uh, well, maybe she does because she touched on that a little bit because she reads definitely reads comments. But um, you know, uh, we get T Swift to listen to the one take. That's it's gonna be a big moment for us. Yeah, T Swift, come on the pod. Um, I, I just another thing that I had probably the final thing uh, this movie is a perfect time capsule for like the 2000 late 2000s to 2015 yeah like I was having some flashbacks within <laughs> within this stuff like seeing the VMA thing I was like oh man I feel like I'm 15 again like oh my god <laughs> yeah I don't know that was that that's really all I had to say about that um so my closing thing is like i i will agree with you i like i love documentaries when you get to watch the sausage get made like i i love music documentaries where we go into the studio and watch the songwriting process so you like food ink (laughs) that too um (laughs) oof oof that's a that's another takedown no that's not a takedown let's not watch it um no, I, I I like documentaries like where we go on tour with them, where you, where you actually have this human element, and you actually get to see that like what you hear on the radio, what you watch on TV, like it doesn't just happen. Like it is so much work and so much effort goes into it. My biggest issue with this documentary in that regards is we don't see it. Um, I was talking with my wife about this, and she has some really awesome opinions, and I kind of wish I brought her on. Um, to talk about this doc but um i watched the beyonce uh homecoming documentary with her when that came out that documentary does a fantastic job of watching what beyonce wanted and then putting it on stage you get to watch her workout you get to watch all these dances you get to watch how the stage is built you get to talk to everybody that was involved this one you don't you just get to see taylor make a song and it's cool and it's okay but it also removes any sort of fun element to it you're not actually really watching her write it you're just watching her be happy to write it you're not watching the blood sweat and tears so it does remove this bit of an element of her working hard for something you're just kind of getting this brief you know overview of like oh she wrote me that was cool brandon yuri's here she told her what to do he did or left so it's again like we're just keep touching on different subjects of it's cool to see, but get into it. Give me an hour of her writing me. Like what's the background? What did the engineers have to do? All that stuff. Like if you're going to do it, do it. If you're not, then don't. Dex, any final thoughts? Nah, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, I figured. Uh, I think if I had to give this one, you know, uh, halfway through, I would give it a C. But, um, Dex, you're probably somewhere in the D to F range, I imagine. Uh, Yeah, we'll go D. D is good degrees. It's whatever. Jake, do you have a letter grade? Uh, C. I'll give it a C. I'll give it a little bit something because it is a time capsule. People will talk about this, and it will go down as one of the 
popular music documentaries. So I'll, I'll let it have its moment. And that was Miss Americana. You can find that streaming anywhere on Netflix. Not that they need the promo, but yeah, that's where you can find it. Uh, speaking of Netflix, we're moving on to you. Season one review. Uh, this is also on Netflix. It started as a lifetime show. Let me uh, pull it up, actually. Sorry. I'm going to have to edit this part out. I should have pulled this up. What am I doing? All right, here we go. Um, you started in 2018 as a lifetime series. A dangerously charming, intensely obsessive young man goes through extreme measures to insert himself into the lives of those he is transfixed by. It is on Netflix. It has a 7.8 on IMDb. That's mostly user score. It stars Pin Badgley as Joe Goldberg, who is the main character of you. Um, yeah. And then in the first season, it also follows the Elizabeth Lale who plays Guinevere Beck, uh, real dumb name, but whatever. <laughs> move on. We'll move on from that. This actually has a 91% on rotten tomatoes, which is really surprising because it's not good at all. <laughs> so like, like the season one has 93% season two is sitting at an 89%. So it's kind of weird. Um, but I guess, I think the reviews are pretty much like, it is what it is. Like it's inner, you know, entertaining, I guess. So I guess that's kind of what the thought is behind those, behind those reviews. It's a hit. Yeah, the, for sure. The basics love this. Mm-hmm. You gotta watch it. It's one of those things everyone's talking about. I mean, it's, we're already past season two. Season three has been cast and i think are shooting right now like this is going to go on forever yeah and netflix really has started to do the sort of model like the british television where it's like okay two or three seasons even if we don't wrap up the story we'll we'll throw this shit we don't care we'll throw it away if nobody's watching it you know what i mean but uh they have been known if somebody like like um what's the uh (laughs) show that got real problematic there at the very end that kind of kicked Netflix. Like, Orange is the New Black, that's not problematic. Not the one I was talking about. But um, what is the... I'm blanking here, guys. Throw out Netflix shows. I'm just totally blanking. Uh, give me the synopsis. What, President what Frank Underwood. Oh, House, House of Cards. House of Cards. Oh, my God. I just to- totally blanked. That show was became problematic because of uh, he who shall not be named. But the... Um, you know, Orange is the New Black, I think that went seven seasons. So I could see this, if they can keep coming up with a decent storyline, it going, you know, six, seven, eight seasons. Do you think so, or do you think they'll wrap it up? Say that, uh, say that again. Have they come up with a decent storyline at all? No, but <laughs> it's not the point. It doesn't have to be, uh, uh, it just has to be serviceable. So get into it, and we may ramble a little bit on this. I know... Uh, Jake had a couple of things that he wanted to talk about specifically within the context of season one, because that's the only one that I've seen. And we'll get a season two review sometime in the near future, because this is a show that I have to, you know, I've been requested to watch with, with Caitlin. So we're invested in this together as a couple, which is a weird show to be invested in together as a couple. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it follows a stalker. And a murderer. And a murderer. A serial killer. 
which you quickly yeah. find out he is a serial killer. And yeah. it, 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 this poor girl just somehow waltzes into his bookshop, which we don't know how he owns or operates immediately, but waltzes into his bookshop and he immediately was like, I'm going to stalk you. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah. I'm stalking her tonight. Yeah, that's definitely the one and I'm going to obsess over. And it's like, and it's just, and it's a lot of it is told first person. So it's a lot of narration by Joe um, Penn Badgley. And, you know, it's a lot of narration about what he is thinking and how he's kind of going through his plans and things like that, which is a narr like a narrative or a narration that I have never seen really used before where they're like, we're literally putting you in the mind of the bad guy. Yeah. Diary it, style. Yeah. And I mean, like we've had shows that have followed plenty of bad people like breaking bad and stuff like that. You know, Walter White's not a good guy or anything like that. And there've nope. been plenty of shows where you're rooting for the bad guy. But like this is the first one where it's just like you're going to see everything from the bad guy's perspective. Yeah. Um so I have I, I guess three points that I guess I'll, I'll I'll touch on eventually. The first is how awful Joe is but how charming he is and maybe I, I I'm I'm assuming this show had the intent of making a charming bad guy that even though he is the scum of the earth he is stalking a woman he is ruining her life bit by bit just so she could be with him he is killing her friends he's killing his ex like he is the worst person but you always cheer for him you're stuck there like having to forgive all of these horrible things he's doing because Pin Badgley is an attractive man he talks in a cool way he is a character that's like taken out of time. Like he, he sort of has this like cool, I don't know, like 1950s vibe where he's retro and fun. But yeah, at the same time, he's just the worst person, but you, you forgive those transgressions, which is, it's an interesting look. And I don't know if the writer's full intent was to tell a story of like, if you're charming, you can get away with anything or, you know, is masculine behavior awful um, but we're allowing it to happen because men could be great. I, I don't know if that was the original intent. Obviously, that's what's coming off. It, yeah, Joe as a character is terrifying because you like him. Yeah, I don't think we need to. I don't think we need to dig too deep into the subliminal messages of you because I think it's very surface level. Yeah, no, no, no. It's it's not digging into anything deep, but I, it's it's just a, a genuine curiosity of if that's what the writers were intending Joe to be, or if there was some sort of social commentary there. I will note this was a book first. So it's like, this was sort of 50 oh. shades of gray ish, whatever you want to, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, book first. So that's, that's where the source material comes from. Um, but it is weird because it's like, you're also rooting for their love story because it'll have these yeah. weird shifts where it's like all of a sudden, okay, well we've just, he just murdered somebody. Oh, but he like, he like bought her a book or something. That was cute. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. I gotta, 
guys that I have never once rooted for Joe. While oh, wow. So you're the, the normal person. In there. I just, you know, like the entire time, like I want him to be arrested for this. <laughs> he should be in prison. Like this is, mm-hmm. he sucks. Like he just, <laughs> and maybe that's because, you know, my previous experience with Penn Badgley, like most people was Gossip Girl and I never liked his character in that. So I'm just like trained, like predestined predisposition not to like him so uh i never rooted for him at any point uh, i always wanted him to get caught i always wanted back to like move on find someone better uh i always thought he was the worst person ever. so like the commentator you know rooting for him because he's a good looking dude never never hit me i was always like this guy sucks get him out of here i will say everyone in this show stinks like like everyone i was gonna say like you 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 have this weird feeling I said of rooting for him, but there all there also is this feeling like, God damn, is anybody gonna f- figure out that this dude like he's the worst murderer? Like you know what I mean? And obviously yeah. there you know are worse murderers, but like he's just like the sloppiest like like leaves a jar of piss in like the uh, in the house where he kills a girl and like bleeds all over the place and he just like leaves dna everywhere he keeps like a and yeah serial killers keep mementos but he like keeps a box of teeth and like all this stuff he like kills brenda's song in broad ass daylight <laughs> in a public park oh no that... nobody noticed did you say brenda's song that's not brenda's song that's not... no who is it no, that's I'm not sorry. brenda i was wrong Delete it. Everybody just delete it. <laughs> the um but yeah, he hits her he just runs up on her domes her with a rock and then it was just like, oh no, like what do I you know, everyone in this show is stupid. Everyone. And even like the people you like at the end of it, you can't like them anymore. Paco, he sucks. <laughs> yeah. It just grooming another definitely not. I was so wrong. <laughs> You're still on this episode, guys. We're going. Yeah, we're, cancel we're, it. Cancel this episode. Jake, you are now, you are officially canceled. Let's just get into that. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Hashtag racist. <laughs> I don't know why. I, re- I mean, to be fair, I haven't watched this since it first came out. I don't remember why I think I thought that that was her. It's it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily matter. I mean, like, like her, uh, what was her name? Peach? Was it her name? Yeah. Peach Salinger. Like, she stinks. Like. You know what I mean? Like she was, she was the worst. She faked suicide several times to get the attention of like, just tell somebody you love. Nobody in the show besides him is like tells people that he loves them. You know what I mean? Like she's like, she loved Beck or whatever. So in order to get her attention, like faked suicide several times. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just all of them stink. Um, and, I will say it's one of those shows that's like made for Netflix. I can't believe it was a Lifetime series before Netflix because like you watch the end of an episode and you're like that whole entire episode was stupid. Then the last two minutes happen and it's like, well, got to watch the next one now. Exactly. <laughs> it's just got this forward momentum to it. Like uh, it reminds me a lot of the Traps in the Closet series by another person we will not name. Mm. <laughs> Problematic. Um, but it's like you're watching it the entire time thinking this is the worst thing I have ever seen, but I need to know what happens next. Man, this is terrible, but keep going. Shay Mitchell. 
Shay Mitchell, Canadian actress, come onto the pod. Let me apologize to you face to face. Oh man, nope. She'll never come on the pod. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Never. Oh. Not only am I gonna get oh my peace god, hate mail, but I get you hate mail. Yeah, we are just we are just intersecting two rabid fan bases right now that are just like I don't know why we chose uh, to do this. They're gonna cancel you because you're racist. They're gonna use that. <laughs> the user canceling me. Um, Did you have any other points that you wanted to make? I mean, basically, if you watch this show and if you haven't yet, just know going in. You're going to follow along a serial killer, be real weirded out by some of the things that he does, including, but not limited to, public masturbation on the steps of like a, uh, in the streets of New York. So, I mean, multiple times. Like, that's a thing in the first season of this show. Uh, Included, but not limited. So you're going to follow that. And then everybody in the show sucks. So just if you're thinking about watching the show, just know that that's a thing. Uh, yeah, my my second point we already touched upon, and then I fucked it up. But it was essentially that he is the worst criminal of all time, and we exist in a universe where the police are the dumbest people ever. Like mm-hmm. it's so weird how much he gets away with in broad ass daylight, and everybody's like, "Well, this kind of seems normal. He's a charming man. Let him go." There's so many times where he like just goes into public. And puts on a baseball cap and nothing else, and he just like cannot be recognized. And I'm like, come on, guys! Like you couldn't give him like some sunglasses, like anything. I just saw Ryan Gosling and driving. Was like, well, he looked cool in that, so Penn's gonna pull this off. Just a baseball cap, and he's just completely unrecognizable <laughs> in public. Just I, how? The Tony Romo school of non-logo sports caps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shout out Tony Romo! Come on the pod. Also, I was going to say, also, is this guy like invincible? Because he gets his fucking ass kicked so many times. Like he's like hemorrhaging, like he's been in wrecks and like everything else. But yet he still has enough strength to murder. Anyway, with his bare hands a lot of times. Yeah. He's not even shooting people. He's like murdering people with his bare hands. Um. Yeah, this movie exists in, like, a crossover between Dexter and, like, Fast and Furious, where everybody is somehow a hero that you don't know about or has some sort of secret power. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's concerning that Penn is strong, that he's a super intelligent person, that he can murder people willy-nilly with no weapons and then also has an evil layer for some reason. Yeah, that's uh very strange. I, and I mean, it's also yeah. like such a good criminal that he can entirely frame John Stamos for all these murders, like oh, and nobody oh, I forgot. For yeah. Shout out to that John Stamos in the fakest beard that I have ever seen on a human being ever. He shows up in season two in a even more faker beard. They they keep letting him do it. <laughs> That's like John Stam. Shout out John Stamos. I was not a like a. You have a thing called like an unexpected John Stamos sighting. Like you weren't expecting to see John Stamos. You were, <laughs> you were wrong. He just yeah he just shows yeah. up and it's just like mind if, also the worst therapist ever is like mind if I smoke pot like what. <laughs> What? Mind if I break all sorts of ethics here? 
Yeah, Dex, what were you saying? That's a big part, too. Oh, Dex is frozen. We have a frozen Dex. Oh, no. Oh, hold on. Oh, he's back. Oh, oh he moved. Dex? You, can you hear me? Yeah, now we yeah. can. Good to have you back, bud. Cool, because I heard you that entire time. Uh-huh. <laughs> we lost you right as you were about to start talking. Okay, so I was just saying, like, John Stamos is the worst therapist ever because, like, he would smoke pot in the middle of sessions. Fuck his patient. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't, you can't do both. You got to pick one or the other, my guy. You can't, you can't be a therapist who is fucking the patient and smoking pot during the sessions. You got to pick one or the other, and then you'll be just a bad therapist and not the worst one ever. The most easily frameable therapist, because enough people were just like, "Yeah, that makes sense." <laughs> They're just like, "Yeah, it makes sense that he killed her." Yeah, well, all right, we'll arrest him. With just. I mean, I guess he buried the body outside of, spoiler alert for season one of you, I guess he buried the body outside of his house, so it was like easily frameable, but yeah. But that's the thing he gets framed with. In the meantime, Penn over here is doing like leaving his entire trail of blood and everybody's like, that's gross. It's like the John Mulaney skit, like, oh, clean it up. (laughs) <laughs> but then Stamos buries one body and they're like, this guy is a fucking serial killer. What's going on here? Exactly. Also, my final point, Guinevere Beck. Terrible uh, name. Yeah, terrible name. She uh, one's the worst girlfriend ever. We'll just put that out there. Bad girlfriend. Two, Bob and Weave, like, you got to get out of that. If you get out, you got to lock him in and get out of that cage fast i mean come on you don't leave the keys in the lock like what she she gets out of the cage and then just is like oh i forgot the keys downstairs <laughs> no yeah. yeah yeah also going back to him being invincible joe being invincible she he she domes him with a hammer and he starts to bleed profusely and yet still has enough wherewithal this guy's been on concussion protocol five times and yet he can't he still has enough gumption to get up and like man he could have played linebacker yeah. he's charlie brewer out here <laughs> yikes yeah i mean man it, it just this series makes no sense but it does dex you have a really good point it has this weird momentum where it's just like i, I mean i gotta see what happened yeah yeah, How did y'all feel about the ex-girlfriend, I forget her name, Candace? Candace. Showing back up. Pops out, pops out at the end, the cliffhanger for season two. What'd you think, Royden? I know you haven't seen season two yet. <sighs> yeah, so. I don't know. I Candace seems like a bad character, too. Like, she seems just... <laughs> like, she seems like the worst, and I can't really put my finger on it, and maybe it's because how it's set up and, like she already cheated on him and everything else. So it's just sort of like, she just doesn't seem like a good person either. So she's not. Yeah. <laughs> probably a teaser. She's probably not. Uh, yeah. I mean, she isn't season two, Candace is wild, but it also plays back into this very weird thing that we get left on this cliffhanger. And I think the intent is that you're supposed to be like, 
oh, fucking Candace back. Everything's ruined. No, you kind of want the ex-girlfriend that was murdered to come back and put him in jail. But it's it's weird that the show frames her as like this bad guy. And you're like, oh, well, everything uh, Joe's been doing is about to be, you know, thrown away. All for nothing. No, he yeah, probably should be in jail. Like, like no, no, he this is a good thing. A victim forever. is here. We're, we have testimony now. Yeah, exactly. We're so, saved. We're, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and then, yeah, go ahead. Uh, it was just nothing. Yeah, uh, that's all. I, I mean, it, meh. Like, that's, that's kind of how I feel about this. Like, everybody in this show sucks and is dumb, uh, but I can't stop watching it. That's the synopsis. All right, moving on to listener questions. We got a couple of Twitter questions perusing Twitter right now. Uh, and then I know Dex has some Instagram questions as well. Derek Foltz, who um, I want to have on the podcast uh, soon. He has his own podcast, and we'll try to get him on, I think, for Birds of Prey. Uh, I think that would be a good one to have him on. But uh, Derek Foltz, he's a good follow on Twitter. Uh, what book series needs to become the next big franchise? Um, I gotta be honest. I haven't read a book series in a long time. Yeah, it's been a minute. I don't know. (laughs) Like, do either of y'all have like one off the top of your head that, or maybe one from like your childhood that was never made into anything? Uh, I mean, um, there is a, a book that I absolutely love that was supposed to be a movie called, um, the gone world. Let me. I, I forgot who the author was. Um, Tom Sweaterlift. Sweaterlift. Um, it's a really cool sci-fi book. Deals a lot with time travel. Uh, it came out, I think, in 2017-ish, and immediately it was a move or it was a book that was auctioned off to be a movie, and they were talking about it. And I think it's now stuck in purgatory. That's my choice. It's not a series, but that's just kind of my book that should become something. I think it would be, I think it translates very well to screen. Um, yeah, I got nothing on series, and I feel terrible about that because maybe looks like an illiterate idiot. But uh, I gotta say, almost everything I've ever enjoyed has become a series by now. Yeah, I mean, like like anything that I liked, you know, leading that was gonna be like the YA novels, like. Hunger Games, that immediately became a movie series. Like Harry Potter, that was a movie series when I was reading the books. Like, so, you know, uh, I think, and plus, a lot of things aren't made into like series, really, unless it's like uh, fantasy. And I, and I just haven't been reading a bunch of fantasy novels. I think going way back, and this is going to sound the most basic thing because it's the one book that every middle schooler reads they never made a hatchet movie or the follow-up books into a movie and that pissed me off because that is such a cool story for when you're a kid like classic novel yeah the Uh, gary paulson the just a heck of a book there you got there pal and that that one never being made into a movie was kind of like a younger me is very mad about that Actually, an older me. I'm mad about that. That should be a movie. Uh, I I just thought of one off the top of my head. It already is a series. It's a series twice. Um, but I'm going to go back to the original series, and that's the Lemony Sticket series. Mm. They made the first three books into a movie, and it was fantastic. Uh, Jim Carrey as, I think it's Count Olaf, 
yeah. is the bad guy. Uh, I'll go back to Meryl Streep is in there. Like, it's an incredibly stacked cast, and it's well done and true to the books. I really wish they kept doing sequels of that. And then, of course, we got the Netflix series last year, two years ago, which was not good because it became too gritty and realistic. And so they abandoned all hope of continuing that. But bring back the Jim Carrey movies. I think that that is my final answer, the Jim Carrey movies. They shoved all three of those, uh, the first three books. I get what they were trying to do uh, because the way the books play out, it's like, they just every book is a different relative that they go to so it's like they put all the three first ones three of the first books into that one movie to make it quicker and maybe they could because there's like 11 or 12 of those books there's a lot of them so it's just like yeah we'll try to make this into like a three-part series instead of like a into a trilogy instead of a you know 12-part book series but you know anyway I remember liking that movie a lot, but Dex, do you have anything that uh, you're thinking of off the top of your head? Yeah, I got to be honest. I haven't read a book for fun since I graduated from college. <laughs> um, I don't really have uh, like series or anything from like recent time, but I will say my favorite books as a kid that I think could be a really fun movie series or like even a Netflix show would be the Junie B. Jones books. I think you got a lot to work with there. And I think that could be very empowering to young women in 2020. The story of Junie B. Jones and that meaty gym and various other things. I think I'm surprised they haven't yet. I mean, because like I read a lot of, and this might me sound like I'm a thousand years old, but I read a lot of Hardy Boys books growing up. Like I'm surprised that's not like a series or anything. And maybe they tried to do that back in the day. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm surprised that's really not a series, but um you know who would be great as Juni B. Jones? Who? The little girl from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Julia Butters. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah. I would watch the fuck out of <laughs> Julia Butters as Judy B. Jones. Make it happen. Hollywood, I know we know you're listening. Make it happen. Uh, one All more... seven have connections. Use them. Exactly. One more thing that I would like to see is made into a movie. There was a book called about the Astros championship called Astro ball that I'm reading right now. And it's sort of along the lines of like, if they can make that into a Moneyball movie and even then include the like whole back end of this with the cheating stuff. Like, I think that would be a thrilling movie actually. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. I, I mean, think we're on course to get a 30 for 30 right now. So yeah, probably it, it, it might happen. Yeah. So I, I, I really enjoy that. Uh, any, any true sports books are, are uh, made into movies are great for me, but the um, next question is from uh, Everett Manser, Everett Baylor Fancer on Twitter. Uh, what 2000s blockbuster deserves an improved sequel or reboot? I, 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 do we want to say like 2000s meaning all the way up until now or 2000 to 2010? I'm going to go to 2000 to 2010 is how I understood it. Okay. Because somebody tweeted a picture of in time or a gif of in time. And I think that movie came out in like 2011. So maybe that would deserve a better reboot. I think that just deserved a better script than it, than anything. But, uh, yeah. So, what what do y'all got for what do you got for that, or what would you want to see as a reboot? Because they're already like rebooting like Face Off again. Yeah. 
the first one that came to my mind when I read this question was Children of Men. Uh, but that, is that a blockbuster? I think so. I, I think it won something. Uh, if not, then this is my art house answer. It's one of my favorite films. Um, still one of the coolest behind the scenes, how they shot it. Um, but I think it also has just a cultural relevance today that is stronger than it was when it first came out that I think, you know, with like Roger Deakins behind the helm or something, it could be a really cool film. But that was my choice off the bat. But let me think of like a blockbuster. Dex? So, yeah, mine, I have no idea like what the box office for it was, but I know it was like a cultural phenomenon when it came out. Um, and it's a type of movie we haven't really had in a while. It's a dance movie, um, a hip-hop dance movie. I would want a You Got Served sequel <laughs> reboot. I don't know who I would want to be in it because we don't have like a lot of like dudes singing and dancing like we did back then. Like The era of R&B is kind of gone, but mm-hmm. there's somebody out there we can find who could lead a You Got Served sequel. I mean, fuck it. We can use Zendaya. We can make it about women. That's fine. Like, just let's... We need a You Got Served movie. We need more dancing. We need more dance battles. We need more hip-hop. Like, let's make this movie. All right. So, You Got Served is your answer. There, You know, I'm just looking online at some of the some of the things, and, and I'm trying to remember some of these movies that it's like, they're somewhere, you know, Superman Returns came out in 2006. Somewhere there's a better movie in there as far as Blockbuster goes. Uh it, Somewhere, you know, I don't necessarily know. You know what I would like? Okay. If they could redo it with better special effects and get Will Smith to do it again, I Am Legend deserves another go. Because that movie is so underappreciated for his performance because the one of the ending, which I actually ended up liking, but like the ending and two of how they just made the special effects just were just like... a early 2000s video game render like you know what i mean they made like the vampire yeah. zombie things like neither vampires or neither zombies and there there's these weird cgi creatures i think if you made that more practical and like made it more claustrophobic than it already is and you get will smith back in there give me i am legend one more time i just thought of another one the incredible hulk Oh yeah, that deserves. I mean, we kind of have, but it deserves another go. It still got like the second one with Edward Norton didn't even like it. It, it wasn't very, you know, it wasn't great. It was okay. Not even canon. Yeah, it's not even canon, really. Yeah. Some of these that I'm looking at on this, you know, on Denim Geek, Day After Tomorrow could be a good one. Uh, that is a classic, you know, TNT FX movie. Um, That's a substitute teacher movie right there yeah it is a lot like i flip through hbo almost daily to see if there's like a cool movie or like a sunday watcher day after tomorrow is on almost every day (laughs) that is you know that is a yeah that's a classic movie cart movie um along with the perfect storm which is also a great tnt movie that's uh that's kind of on here another one that they have on here um you know, Wanted, which is also an FX movie, FX original movie. My uh, Baylor Yeah, I don't know if that could uh, that could be better or not. Troy, 
that, you know, that was what it was. Maybe that there's a better film in there, but yeah, some of those blockbusters, but I, I, I think my final answer is I am legend. If you get better special effects, uh, Dex, what are your, what are your Instagram questions? And we'll wrap this thing up. All right. So we're going to do my favorite one first. What do you stand on Quentin Tarantino? Is he hyped or is he fire? Is he hyped or is he fire? Yep. Um, I assume hyped he's overhyped. Hyped as an overhyped. I thought the question was like, is he great or is he great? I was like, well, yeah. I guess he's great. I don't know. Go ahead, Jake. I, I got to think on this for a second. Yeah. Man, I don't know. I flip flop on him a lot. I love Tarantino films and I struggled really hard with once upon a time in Hollywood. I've listened to a lot of podcasts on it now. Um, I've read as many reviews and like, I've come around to it as a person. He is not great. Um, (laughs) I mean, he almost killed Uma Thurman and was kind of happy about it. Um, Known foot fetish, not a great guy as a director and as a storyteller. I think he is fire. I mean, he is one of the few guys out there right now that's still writing original scripts and ideas. Um, You're out here shaming toe lovers now, man. Come on. Yeah, I was like, we can't make those the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, we can't make killing Uma Thurman and foot fetish the same. He nearly killed Uma Thurman. Also, the dude loves feet. Disgusting. (laughs) Look. If I'm going to alienate the large segment of our population that loves feet, that listens to us, I am sorry, friends. Uh, you may join the Swifties and the Yui's that are about to come into my DMs. Dude, we are going to have uh, so many like people tweet at us. Thanks uh, for coming to our last episode. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, right, sorry, I, we just totally derailed that. No, you were both right there on it. Uh, no, I... I he is fired. Like he is writing original stories. He is a great filmmaker. Like it is, there is no argument there. It would be dumb to say his films aren't good or he doesn't know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. His movies are fantastic. Like if he makes anything, it stops the world for a second. Everybody talks about the next Tarantino film when he announces it, or if he has his hand in ever uh, in anything, it's always discussed. So he is fired. There are moments of him being overhyped. Um, but I think all in all, like he is the legend and the guy that belongs in the pantheon that we make him out to be. I don't like getting to this point. Like I, I, I love most of his movies, especially some, a lot of his more mainstream later catalog. I don't like getting to the point of when an artist becomes popular just because of a name brand. You know what I mean? Like, like if the movie is good, that's that's one thing, and and by all intents and purposes, is that Once Upon a Time is a good film. I kind of waver on it where I would put it in his filmography, but it, it like the way that I see you know see it going for him now is like, oh, it's a twi- it's a Tarantino movie. It has to be good. Well, that's not necessarily true. Like, you know, uh, Hateful Eight couldn't even get through that movie. You know what I mean? It's and maybe I'm, a, maybe I'm a, uh, you know, imbecile. Like, I don't quite grasp it. But, like, you know, when when it starts to become, 
it's good because it, it has to be because it's Tarantino. You know what I'm trying to say? Where it's yeah, like, yeah, where it's just we're calling it good for the sake of calling it good just because of his name brand. Sort of how score it's thing and they've earned it, but it's sort of how like things fall with like Scorsese and like why uh Godfather Part Three was nominated for Academy Awards when obviously it wasn't good. You know what I mean? Those sort of things. So that's kind of how I feel about Tarantino. Are his movies good? And is he writing original dialogue and stories and entertaining things and doing what he wants to do? And did he build himself up from nothing, like working at a video store and all this stuff and making independent fil films and stuff? Yes. Was he also like in deep with Harvey Weinstein and like all this other stuff? Also, yes. So like, it, love the art. Don't, you know, take, ta yeah, take or leave the artist, I think is sort of how I feel about him at this point. Yeah, I'll say for me, um, you know, I'm not really a fan of like gratuitous violence in movies. It's just not my thing. I'm not like, oh, that's so unholy and gross and blah, blah, blah. I just like, I just don't enjoy it that much. So like Kill Bill, never really been able to do it. Uh, Hateful Eight never wanted to do it different things like that but you know some of the other ones like pulp fiction and inglorious bastards uh once upon a time in hollywood i was like okay yeah this is cool like uh still not really like i don't get tarantino like as much like the love for him like i know people who just are tarantino stands and like have shrines to quentin tarantino and like i'll never be able to get to that level so I'd, I'd call him overhyped for that. But, um, you know, I uh, he's made some movies that I've enjoyed, but uh, I definitely think he's overhyped at this point. He's edge, he's edging on that territory. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I'll add to it is that as for his films, like especially his early catalog, they are touchstones of cinema. I was watching a Bob's Burgers episode last night where they did an entire ripoff of the cutting off the ear scene in Reservoir Dogs, hmm. which is wild because I think that film has now fallen sort of the wayside, like either you know it or you don't. But here it is still getting paid homage in a cartoon that's beloved by millions. Mm -hmm. So his work will stand the test of time and i don't i don't know where we'll land with him at the end of all this as a person but the work is good well yeah there, there's like a whole generation of filmmakers that's sort of defined by tarantino of that 90s independent cinema um you know genre of filmmakers that's he is sort of the masthead of 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 those of those filmmakers and he's had the most i think mainstream success other than maybe like steven soderbergh but like uh yeah so i i i i get where his films fall but like he's he for me he is edging on the edging on the overhyped side of things all right our final final listener question from matt hayden why is the western genre dying Ooh. I have, Boy, I know you have thoughts on this. It's not. It's just different. 
And that's, I, you know, I had to immediately type that in the group message to, to, so I could remember it. It's not dying. It's just different because some of the most popular films of popular adult, not adult films. That's a completely different thing. Some of the most, <laughs> some of the most popular films like rated R for adults to go see are like Western films. You have Sicario, Hell or High Water. And it didn't get enough love, but Wind River. And those are three all by, made by um, Taylor Sheridan. Shout out Waco native, McLennan County. But he uh, he has sort of, in his own way, and it's not just about Taylor Sheridan because you have a couple of others that I can maybe touch on, but like he is sort of, in his own way, redefined the genre of moving it in from, from cowboys on horseback riding through the plains, going to a town, you know, facing off with a bad guy at high noon to modern day. We're in beat up cars. It's dusty outside. You know, we're, we're the, a lot of, there's a lot of moral ambiguity that is based in his stories. And I think that's sort of where the Western genre has sort of gone. And you see, and you saw it with um, no country for old men was sort of the prime example of this the Coen brothers, they've sort of redefined what Western genre means. So I think you can find what the Western genre is. It is just not, you're not going to find the, um, cowboys and Indians and, and horse, horse chases and wagon trains and all this stuff that like the John Wayne stuff, you're just not going to find that anymore because those aren't the stories that are affecting people of the Southwest or of the West anymore. You know what I mean? Like the reason those movies were so popular back in the fifties is because those stories were still being told by people that were still alive when those movies were being made. You know what I mean? And those are, those are stories passed down for generation. Now it's like Westerns of like sheriffs, like Jeff Bridges playing like a sheriff or a Texas Ranger. That is what you're getting now more. And that's, that's kind of why, and I like it. I really do enjoy those films. If you haven't seen it, Go, you can. I think you can find it on Amazon um, for free if you have Prime. Wind River. It was his movie that didn't get enough after Sicario and Hell or High Water, which both, I mean, Hell or High Water criminally underrated and snubbed at the Academy Awards. But um, Wind River with Jeremy Renner is fire. That movie is incredible. Um, yeah, and it, it completes sort of his uh western modern western trilogy so that's my long spiel on that i don't know jake if you have anything about that uh, yeah my thing is i mean i basically agree with you is that we're not getting your fathers and your grandfather's spaghetti westerns anymore i mean we aren't getting fistful of dollars and good bad and ugly um and that's okay uh what we are now getting is the same themes the same anti-heroes the same is it good versus bad or is it you know vigilante law and all that um it just repackaged in different ways um so what you said was it is spot on like we're getting the same themes we're still getting the same stories it's just shown in a different and more interesting way um there's only so many times you could do a western movie where it doesn't get stale um that being said i will say probably one of my most favorite westerns 
that of, of recent is the Mad Max series. Like that is a Western to the T. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fury Road is a Western film. Um, so we are we are still getting that that movie. It just looks different. That being said, we're still actually getting Westerns. Right. Uh, I mean, off the top of my head, The Assassination of Jesse James. Fantastic film. We've already raved about it. Um, that's pretty recent. Um, 310 to Yuma, another Baylor film, but people loved it. It's a great film. Tarantino is still pushing out Westerns. Right. Like, everybody still raves about Django. So they still exist. Like, we still are getting Western films. Um so not only the classical and the neoclassical ones, but also the different looks. So Western is still here, and it's going to be here to stay. As long as there's people that still love old cinema, there is going to be, you know, film nerds still love old cinema. So it's like there's going to be people that are going to want to try their hand at making a Western just because some of the greatest filmmakers of all time made what, like John Ford, made Westerns. So, I mean, it's like it, as long as there's like Americana, there's still going to be to wrap this all up miss americana as long as there is americana there's still going to be the need or the want to try and make a western uh, a western film and now it's just going to be different and and it's weird because they did try to make like an old western but with like more gratuitous violence with the hateful eight and it was good but it like just didn't work so i think if you're going to try for modern audiences you got to do something even more different than just adding gratuitous violence. Like it has to be so spaghetti Western that it becomes comical, like the Django's and things like that. Or it has to be so new that it has, that it, it, it's, um, that it, it, it's something that we haven't seen before, or it has to be so true to the source material, like the new true grit was and so well acted that we're just like, we're engrossed by it because Good storytelling trumps all in all of this. If you have a good story, it doesn't matter necessarily what the setting around it is, but that's that's my spiel. Dex, do you have any thoughts on any Westerns or anything like that? Because I know, I don't know if this is up your alley of genre of film. It's really not. Um, what I will say is that uh, he's probably asking like why we're not getting, like why we don't have a John Wayne or anything like that. And my answer would be because nobody really wants that uh, anymore. We have like kind of a similar dynamic with Liam Neeson where he just kind of does the same movie over and over. And, you know, we all kind of go see it. Like he done basically 18 different versions of Taken since Taken has come out. And that's like the closest thing we have to a John Wayne. But as far as like the Cowboys and Indian stuff, nobody really is like dying to go see that in theaters. But you can find that, you know, streaming on Netflix or Amazon or whatever at this point, because that's where, you know, that kind of thing lives at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And there uh, are if you haven't if you haven't seen like, uh, I mean, forever, they're just on like TMC or AMC or T and, you know, just on cable. They'll, they'll play like John Wayne. And some of those movies are good. Some of them, you know, don't let anybody lie to you. They do not hold up. So it's just like. And I'm sure like in 50 years, they're going to be looking back at like hell or high water and be like, what was this? You know what I mean? I'll be like yelling at my grandkids like this was the best thing that's ever, you know. So like we'll just we'll see how the test of time stands with those Westerns. And if there's I'm interested to see what the iteration of the Western genre is after this. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my thought on it. Anything else that you all have? We'll wrap this thing up. Uh, my last little finishing flourish is Leo won his Oscar. 
in a Western film. Oh yeah, he did. He did Leonardo. Bad, West? Yeah. The long coming where he had to eat um, a raw liver and sleep inside of a horse that nobody asked him to do. But you know, do you oh, buddy. Man. Bringing this back. Leo wins an Oscar for a Western and then goes to once upon a time in a Hollywood where he's a washed up uh, Western actor. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, just kind of a random, just kind of a, maybe once upon a time was really just about Leo's actual career. Yeah. It was just a meta commentary by, uh, Oh man, that's why he's good, man. That's why, (laughs) that's why we love Tarantino, man. He gets it. I don't know. Whatever. All right. Wrapping this up, you can follow us on One Take Pod at, on Twitter, on the twitter.com. You can email us at one take podcast show at gmail.com. Email us any questions, comments, concerns. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and that's on iTunes and on Spotify. Leave us a five star review and comment as well. That really helps our algorithm and helps us a lot. And if you have any questions, uh, find us again on One Take Pod on twitter uh anything else that we have before we go questions thoughts concerns i'm good it is my concern that our twitter followers and listeners have not properly been supporting florence Pugh. so i just want to remind everyone hashtag support florence pew do your part if you tweet that hashtag, you will be retweeted. So it's a free retweet from us to you. All right, guys, support Florence Pugh, hashtag support Florence Pugh at one take pod on Twitter. Have a good rest of your week. Watch the Oscars. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and that. We'll talk about that coming up next week. All right, bye. I know you never get just what you see But I will never fall you, baby